I'm sitting outside my house on what is it, October the 6th, 2022, in bright, warm sunshine, with a clear blue sky, a chill wind, and a warm cup of coffee in my hand. Everything that's going on around me is an instance of a law which I think everyone has heard of, but frankly very few people really understand, which is the law that says that there is always at the end of a process less order in the universe than there was at the start. What this means in practice is that there is an inexorable arrow in the direction from order to disorder. And the measure that physicists have invented for this is called entropy. Entropy is one of those concepts in physics that one struggles with because the language in which it is described is often rather loose. For example, in the current energy crisis, as it's being called, caused by President Putin, whose 70th birthday, I believe it is tomorrow, what a way to celebrate it by losing a war, The energy crisis is, of course, a complete misnomer because one of the absolutely fundamental principles of physics is that you cannot create or destroy energy. You cannot create or destroy energy. It is conserved. So, what is happening when the sun is pouring down warmth on me on my front porch when the wind is blowing and chilling my bones and indeed my coffee cup and when the coffee that I recently made by boiling a kettle is gradually losing its heat and will eventually if I leave it long enough be reduced to the temperature of its surroundings surely we think energy has been used I will have spent perhaps a penny of energy perhaps two pence at current energy costs in boiling the kettle and so I have used some energy but as I just said the single principle in physics that has never been challenged and cannot be challenged is that you cannot use energy so what am I really paying for when I pay Scottish Power 46.7 pence per kilowatt hour to boil my kettle? Well, what I'm really paying them for is entropy, or at least for the right, the privilege, the opportunity to increase the entropy of the universe by degrading some energy degrading some energy taking some energy that is in a usable form in the form of electricity that can go through the kettle for example 
in the form of nuclear reactions in the sun that can pour down warmth upon we hapless creatures on our insignificant speck of dust. When I can put, to some extent, energy into a drink in order to make it warm, but then see it gradually dissipate as it goes cold, all of these are examples of degrading energy from a usable form into another form which cannot be used. And you've perhaps heard the phrase the heat death of the universe when all the energy in the universe is degraded it all descends to something close to absolute zero minus 273 Kelvin and everything in the universe dies because there's no longer any possibility of anything moving from one state of usable energy to another because it's all at the same state and it's all quite literally useless. Flanders and Swan, for those of you old enough to remember them, had a song. The heat won't pass from the colder to the hotter. And it finished with, that's entropy man. It shows my age that I can remember such things. But my purpose here is not merely frivolous. The process that I described in episode 33, whereby we, to some extent, manage to separate energy into two different kinds and then allow them to convert between one and the other in order to produce the motion of a billiard ball in a bowl, isn't so very different from what we're doing in everyday life. We don't do it deliberately, consciously or intentionally, but the bodies in which we live, the bodies which are our life, you see, notice how I slipped into dualist language there, the bodies in which we live. What a beautiful example of dualistic underpinning of, through language, of a misconception. But we won't go there now. Our bodies are machines that selectively pick out certain kinds of usable energy and use it without there being in any sense a suggestion that overall the existence of life doesn't degrade more energy. The dog has just seen a pheasant and decided to send it packing. That's more degraded energy, less energy available after the bird has flown into the sky. It was walking haplessly, aimlessly and innocently across the grass, pecking at the odd insect, which was itself an example of a way in which energy can be turned into living things. The pheasant was living off those living things, and as a result of the action of the large living thing that decided that chasing it was the right thing to do, it has dissipated some more energy and created a little more entropy by flying off in what would otherwise have been quite an unnecessary fashion. 
So all around us, energy is being degraded, dissipated, but not notice, used, not consumed at any rate, and certainly not lost, merely being converted from a usable form into a form in which it is harder to use. So, what's this got to do with the price of fish? Well, the answer is everything. Because the way in which we live relies upon the fact that our bodies have solved a problem that has puzzled physicists and biologists for a very long time. Our bodies are, in effect, entropy processing machines. They have a capacity, an inbuilt capacity. Of course, none of this is deliberate, except insofar as we go to the supermarket and buy our groceries and then eat them. Uh, they have a capacity to take what we eat, to take things from the environment, including, of course, oxygen and other things, and turn them into usable order. The net cost of that to the universe is an increase in disorder. Nobody beats the second law of thermodynamics. But nevertheless, our bodies are extraordinarily efficient at turning the order that they find around them, order that in many respects can seem relatively insignificant, and turning it into what at least for us, if not for the Vogons, is significant order in the shape of our genetic code, the various things that are needed to make our cells and brains and bodies work. And we do this all the time with literally out thinking about it. With literally out, that's a good expression, literally <laughs> without thinking about it. And so we can see that in the internal structure of the universe, our bodies can do what we've been describing intellectually in another sense, se separating significant order at the cost of a net disorder, just as we can select significant intellectual order, no doubt at the expense of some kind of invisible disorder. And just to take the analogy that I've used many a time before, when we start with a blank sheet of paper, a bottle of ink and a fountain pen, dip the pen in the ink and write something, there is clearly an increase in the discernible order, at least from our perspective. There is writing that we can read and we can pass on our ideas, information, our inventions, our thoughts, our suggestions, our nostrums, our mantras, our religious scriptures, our scientific treatises. We can pass them on through this medium. But nobody should be under any illusions that the net cost to the universe of this creation of a localized form of order is a net increase in disorder. Nobody beats the second law of thermodynamics, which says that disorder cannot decrease. Now, there are speculations, and here I pass over and say I mention it, but I don't begin to understand it, 
to the effect that there may be reversals of the second law of thermodynamics as a result of the action of such things as black holes. But I'll leave that to the cosmologists or until I have time to do some more reading. The thing that is of interest to me and has been of interest to me most of my life is that our bodies and our brains are effectively information processing machines that operate by taking usable forms of energy in a low entropy, low disorder, that is, state, and converting them into usable forms of energy that involve local increases in order, like in making our DNA and all that stuff, but at the net cost, the net cost taken as a whole of an increase in the disorder of the universe. So next time you switch on the kettle, don't think of yourself as using energy, even though it's going to cost you two, three, four pence to pay your energy company for doing it. And don't put more water in it than you need and then let it cool down because that's a waste of energy, even though you can't use energy. Think of yourself instead as paying the power company for the permission, for the opportunity to access a usable form of energy and to degrade it in order to heat up some water, in order to make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And that is what we are doing all the time, literally all the time, whatever we do. We are extracting significant order, significant, of course, for us, if not the Vogons. We are, we are extracting significant order from the available order in the universe, but significant for us, yet at the expense of a net increase of the total disorder of the universe. When we are involved in this, we are doing at a microscopic level exactly what I've been suggesting is ubiquitous of taking something which as a whole is indifferent to us, but separating out at a local level things in such a way that we can derive significant order what I suppose you would call meaningful order in the shape of our lives, even at the expense of creating more disorder than there might otherwise have been. And that's another story. And all the Vogons are doing is just the same, of saying that in order to create the order that is required for a hypergalactic freeway, we need to demolish the insignificant speck of dust that is standing in our way, just as you and I will do with an ant's nest or a wasp's nest that's somewhere we don't find it convenient for it to be. The moral of this story? Well, never forget the second law of thermodynamics. Never forget that you can't use energy. You can only degrade it, make it less usable. But I suppose the 
real bottom line is never forget the Vogons. Thank you for listening.